as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Crypto mining. Now, a lot of this is already set up here, but I'll let our, 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 I'll let our guests talk about this from LiveEnergy.com. St. Clair, Newburn the Fourth, CEO, joining us. Uh, what? Uh, tell us about crypto and the whole crypto mining experience. What? What is that for those of us that don't know? Okay, so it's really Bitcoin mining. Crypto can mean a lot of different things, but Bitcoin mining is specifically the the thing that's coming to Texas in a big way. And there's a lot of misconceptions about it. But um, basically what happened is uh, China banned Bitcoin mining in uh, the early part of 2021. And so a ton of miners were looking for the next best place to go. And they ended up in places like Kazakhstan and Texas. Uh, Texas has very cheap electricity when you consider the prices around the globe. And so it was a natural uh, fit for Bitcoin miners. And so they started coming to Texas in a, in a big way in uh, the middle of last year. And people immediately were like, oh my gosh, this is going to be terrible. They use all this energy. Um, but something pretty amazing happened. Uh, the CEO of ERCOT, Brad Jones, he came out on a, on a CNBC interview in March, and he basically said that this is a great opportunity for us. And I'll tell you why, but you know that's the quick and dirty of what happened. Mining got, got um, banned in China. All the miners started looking for a place to go, to go, and Texas happened to be one of the best places on the planet with because we have regulatory stability, it's a, a safe place to do business, and we have some of the cheapest electricity on the planet. So what I think we should probably expand on a little bit, because it's even a mystery kind of to me the entire process, but the whole Bitcoin mining process, you get the machines, the Bitcoin mining machines, and what are they, and how do you set them up, and what's that process like? So they use ASICs, which is an application-specific integrated circuit. It's just a little chip that does one, one uh, computational function really fast and, and really efficiently. And we've gotten to industrial scale with Bitcoin mining. So instead of it being something that people do on a, on a home computer, they have specific machines that, that do the mining. And essentially, they're just uh, securing the blockchain by processing transactions. And they, they use a lot of energy. Um, and, and the interesting thing about, like, the impact they'll have on Texas is, and, and Brad Jones, the CEO of Urca, he alluded to these two things. There's some unique things in Texas that, that we need to recognize. Number one, we have so much renewable capacity that we have a surplus in Texas. So we've got more wind and solar than we can possibly use. And there's so much surplus capacity that sometimes it even costs money for the, for the wind or solar providers to put uh, power into the grid. The, the prices go negative, and so the, they get charged for putting electricity into the grid. So the Bitcoin miners can come and soak up all that surplus renewable energy, and that supports the renewable developers. It allows them to actually monetize all that capacity instead of having to uh, waste it. 
So that's a win. And then the, the second thing that uh, Mr. Jones mentioned was that uh, Bitcoin miners are very flexible and responsive to price. In fact, like he said, this is fantastic. And so you're thinking, okay, why would the guy running ERCOT say this is fantastic for someone to come here that uses a bunch of energy? And the reason is, is because Bitcoin miners are very responsive. You can turn them off and, and have them drop 100% of their, or not 100%, but like drop like 97% of their load in a, in a fraction of a second. And so what that does is it looks like a battery to ERCOT. So if you, if you think about it, um, when we're short power, so let's say we have a really hot day and a 500 megawatt generator goes offline. Now the system is imbalanced. And so ERCOT, what, what would you think the, the first thing that they'd want to do is, Zach? If you're short electricity, you're going to try to do what? Turn on generation, right? Yeah. So, so you could do that, but if you had the ability to flip a switch and turn 500 megawatts off, it kind of looks like a battery, and that's basically what the Bitcoin miners represent, is this big chunk of power that they can flip a switch, and now they've just freed up 500 megawatts of capacity and brought the system back into balance. Joining us on 710 KURV from LiveEnergy.com, he's an energy expert, St. Clair, New Bern IV. Davis Rankin, uh, I believe you have a question. Uh, can you explain uh, how this ties into or connects to or is related to something called blockchain? Yeah, so blockchain is essentially the technology that Bitcoin uses. Um, it's so when you think about block, about Bitcoin, what it, what it's doing is it's allowing people to people to transfer value. There's a ledger that keeps track of all that, and every ten minutes, all the transactions that need to get cleared are bundled up into a block of transactions, and then they get um, validated by the miners, and then the next block gets gets validated, and that happens every ten minutes. And, they're, and each block refers to the previous block. And so that's why they call it the blockchain, because it's like this chain of information that is impossible to hack or fake. And it, it, um, it uses a proof-of-work consensus mechanism, which it's a complicated way of saying they, they've made it so that you have to spend energy and computational power in order to, uh, to mine blocks. And so... Blockchain is just a, a, a series of, of transactions that are, are in blocks. So every 10 minutes, all the transactions that uh, were submitted to the network in that period of time are cleared and become part of a ledger that is unhackable. You can't go back and, and change it. And so it, um, it creates a trustless system for people to transfer value. So it's like if, if I had like an, a, an assembly line of presents and I say you can't get in unless you solve this math problem – is it is it kind of like that? Kind of you can't like, open the, the contents kind of, like of this that, box yeah, and this. Yeah, yeah okay. If that's why. That's I'm, what I thought it was. I'm glad you confirmed that for me because that's the impression that I had in my mind. And then I was like, well, wait a second, I could be wrong on this one. As far as the amount of energy that is uh, taken up by the the Bitcoin farmers, how big is yep. what, the size of one of these farms on average, and how much energy does it eat up? So. You're starting to see uh, sites that are hundreds of megawatts. So um, I think Brad Jones, in that interview he did in March, he said that he expected 5,000 megawatts of mining to exist in Texas in, in two years. So just to give you a sense, you know, the market, you know, will, will peak at like 75,000 megawatts. Um, so 5,000 megawatts of mining load is pretty significant. But he likes it because it gives him another tool. It's like 
if you think about it, if, if the, the grid is short power, you can either say, hey, generators, turn up, you know, produce more power, or it's even easier to just pull the plug because you it, it has the exact same impact. And so, you know, as the grid operator, he likes it because it gives him another tool that he can use to make sure that he balances the grid. It's like an extra buffer zone. So when, like, say, uh, winter, winter storm Yuri comes – well, no, that's a bad example – but it, say like in the heat waves right now, right? Hey, we need another, you know, yeah. uh, we, we need, we need like a little bit of a buffer zone. Could you guys hold off on the Bitcoin mining for a little bit? And they say, yeah, sure. And, and that, that frees up that, that wattage. That capacity. Yes. Yeah. That's that exactly capacity, what yeah. And they don't even have to tell them. So here's what happens. So when, when grid conditions start to get tight, the prices start going up. And so if you're a miner, you're buying electricity for five cents and you're hoping that you're making 20 cents for every kilowatt hour you consume. If the market starts rising because conditions are tight, um, and that's a feature of the Texas market, like when, when the grid's tight, prices start going up. So once they get over $200 a megawatt, $300 a megawatt, the miners are happy to turn off and sell their power back into the grid. So you've got all this capacity that is automatically uh, got this economic incentive to respond to prices and they do because there's a certain pro- point where they make more money just selling the capacity back into the market as opposed to, you know, instead of using it to mine Bitcoin. That's incredible that they can sell the energy back. That, that is what, that, that is what is unbelievable to me. Cause I always thought it was like, Hey, you, you bought it, no refunds type thing, you know? So they have special contracts and um, you know, that's one of the things that we do is we help with structuring deals so that they can buy a hedge and it may say, all right, you've got, you know, 100 megawatts at five cents for the next five years. And so they're watching. And any time they can get more value by just selling the capacity back into the market, they're happy to do it. And so the, the incentives are aligned. You know, when we need it, they're incentivized by the, by the price of the market to let that capacity go. And, you know, that's precisely when we need it. Davis Rankin, do you have one more question before we wrap things up with our friend uh, St. Clair Bernard? Sorry, New Bern Bernard. <laughs> my my only question will, is sort of, sort of vague. If one of the ways uh, you can um, um, mess with the system now is to counterfeit, I mean, physically counterfeit money, uh, how, do you, how do you, apparently we catch all those guys too. How do you counterfeit this stuff or can you? So that's one of the things that Bitcoin solves. Like people have been working on uh, digital cash for like a long time, like decades, and they could never figure out the double spend problem, like how to make sure that you can't spend the same digital uh, value twice. And so that's one of the unique innovations that uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, whoever that is, created was a, uh, he created a solution to the double spend problem. So there has been no scenario in the history of, of Bitcoin's operation that anybody has ever double spent you know, that's what you would have to do if you were going to create um, fake money. You would have to uh, have have money that exists and then create a fake of it and then spend it, double, therefore double spending it. And so Bitcoin prevents double spending. That was one of the unique innovations of Bitcoin's protocol. That is incredible. Uh, St. Clair, hey, thanks for, for the Thank explanation. You. And I want to bring you on another time to talk about electric vehicles in the, in the state of Texas. That's another banger of a topic that we got to talk about it another time, though. Appreciate it from liveenergy.com, St. Clair, Newburn the 4th.
Join us on News Talk 710 KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. If you are a homeowner and you're seeing strange things around your foundation or, in Davis's case, cracks in the wall, uh, we, we've got we've got quite the interview for you coming up here. Davis Rankin, would you be so kind as to introduce our next guest, sir? Well, I did something with his with his page. I thought it was right here. Uh, stall while I find it. Professor I Ronald Kaiser well, from Texas A and M University joins us now on your nine five six drive home. So, foundations. Bus. Yes, I'm going to throw Davis under the bus. For missing that. Uh, home foundations, what should we be looking out for in this Texas heat? You, you know, if you think about your lawn and your lawn need, needing water, oftentimes during drought, if you live in an area where you've got clay soils or your foundation is built on clay soils, yeah. keeping those clays moist becomes critical. And so when you think about watering your lawn, also think about your foundation. Yeah, this is Davis Rankin. How do you know whether you have clay and um, how much water? I mean, how often do you have to water to keep it moist? You know, it's going to vary from area to area. An easy way to find out if you have clays, you can contact your city. You can contract or contact uh, the soil service or the county extension agent. And they can tell you the soil types. How often to water uh, in a really drought area, you might be, need to apply about an inch of water a week to your foundation. Wow. And most foundations are six inches thick, if you think about that. So you want water to at least percolate down at least six inches. And I tell people, if you're thinking about watering your foundation, soaker hoses are good. Run a soaker hose for an hour. Yeah. Also, yeah. think of this area from about six inches to twenty inches away from your foundation. That's the critical area to keep moist. Six to twenty inches. That answers a that answers a, a, a great question. Ronald Kaiser is our guest. He works at Texas A and M. He is um, chairman of their water management and hydrological science program. And I, uh, I, I suppose this becomes foundations cracking, walls cracking becomes really obvious when we have drought as is most of Texas in a drought right now. We down here, I think, are not yet in a drought, but the rest of the state is. A lot of it. You know, drought varies uh, from region to state to region. Probably the best, the gold standard, if you're going to look for drought conditions, is something called a drought monitor. And this yeah. is a program that comes out of the University of Nebraska 
they monitor soil moisture and rainfall. So if you want to know if your area is in a drought or the extent of the drought, you can just go online and Google drought monitor, and it will take you to a website that will show your area and drought conditions. Now, my house was built in 1952. Let me back up. Do When you buy a house now, has the contractor or the builder, have they done a soil analysis to find out what it is? They absolutely should. And in most reputable contractors will do that. Is this something you can get insurance what, for? What happened, what happened 50 years ago, more difficult to predict. Yeah. Well, I will predict that they that they didn't do it because I'm um, now. How how much more difficult is it to repair this stuff when it's too late? I know a stitch in time saves nine, yeah. but in in this one, how easy is it to miss the signs that something is wrong with the foundation? Good question. You know, typically you would see cracking around door jams, window areas where you'd see these little small cracks, that's telling you your house and your foundation is moving. Some of it may just be cosmetic. As they tend to get bigger, that means something more serious. If you have a brick home, look around the windows and around foundation, and you'll find cracks that run between the mortar or on the mortar of the bricks. That's also a sign. That That's an indication that some there's been some movement over time. It may just be settling of the house, but more likely it's going to be something related to a foundation. I know what? exactly what you're talking about. I used to see this growing up as a kid at some of the houses in some of the neighborhoods growing up where there's a large crack on that big concrete slab that the house kind of sits on. Uh-oh. I always wondered about that. Our guest on 710KURV is uh, Texas A&M professor Ronald Kaiser. We're talking about cracks for the home foundation um, stuff that happens in the clay as the as the the heat kicks up and starts drying everything out and that kind of shifts everything. And as far as say uh, like a like a like a driveway or the area around a garage, I've seen these things where people kind of drill a hole and pump foam underneath the the concrete to kind of move everything. Is that a solution for the home as well? Uh, sometimes it may. Sometimes. Uh, contractors that, that specialize in this will have to dig underneath your foundation, uh, crawl under there and put jacks up to, again, move the foundation so it kind of matches the other part where it's begin to shift. So this could be extremely expensive uh, to do foundational repair. So my advice to people when we get in a drought, think not only about your lawn and your landscape, but also think about your foundation. And that's important. Keep that area from 6 to 20 inches away from your foundation adequately watered so that soil doesn't shrink and then cause the foundation to move. This is uh, Davis Rankin again. I know this is an obvious question, but I'll ask it. What What's the problem if you have a cracked foundation or a, or a small crack or cracks, plural, in the wall? walls of your house you know some of it may not be significant some of it may be your foundation is shifted and then it's stabilized and that's what you'll see with a a a small crack and you can cosmetically go 
in and repair the drywall on that. The concern is if it seems to open up and close down, that to me is a good sign something's happening with your foundation moving. And that's yeah. what you ought to be worried about. If you're buying a home, the, the, the law requires and good manners require that the seller tell you if they have a problem or have had a problem, correct? Absolutely. Yeah, it's part of the disclosure requirements for premises yeah. defects. What's the best uh, soil composition for to put a house on? Uh, it sounds like clay is not the one you want because it's because it can because because of what we're talking clay, about. Clay clay does have its problems. I mean, if you're on sand or if you're on limestone, uh, your foundation's not going to move much. But most of Texas has clay soils. And that's a problem throughout the state. Some clays are different than others. I mean, if you remember as a kid, yeah. if you ever walked across the Blackland Prairie or clay areas when things were wet, your shoes and boots, soon they, they grew in size. So that's clay, wet clay adding in this movement. When you walk across those dry pastures and you look at those big cracks in the ground, that's yeah. an indication you've got some clay movement or just movement of of soil. Is, is some I don't know when they started when c- cement foundations began to be used at all, but older homes were what they call pier and beam. And if I'm wrong about this, tell me because my grandmother's house you walk on it, wooden floor, creek, creek, creek. Um, when did they? How have they? How have we built houses over the centuries? You know, the old style was clearly your your house was mounted on some type of foundation. It may have been cement blocks. It may have been pier or beam. Uh, there are yeah. still some houses that are built that way. Uh, generally, they're a pier and beam embedded in the slab. So uh-huh. those tend to be pretty expensive to build. So part of it is part of it is expense and the cost for a foundation. And the expertise of people who construct foundations or pier and beam. Yeah, yeah. In pier and beam, I, I, my my guess is that we started using foundations a lot probably after World War II. But that's just based on what I see. The house next to me is pier and beam for part of it, and uh, our house is built on a slab. I don't know about the. I think the. So it was a it was a mixed. It was a mixed bag. The, the guy with the pier and beam, you, you would appreciate this. He said that he had a sewer line. Uh, this was many years ago. Sewer line broke. He didn't know about it. He was dumping sewage underneath his house, and it just ate like a big hole underneath his house, and he, had, he was going to have to repair that. I, right. Have you ever heard anything like that? Oh, absolutely. So reflect back and think back to 2011, 2012. Texas was hit by a pretty intense two-year drought. The city of Houston, which is built on clay and has clay underneath it, they had problems with water lines breaking because the clay was moving. So they had crews out all the time trying to fix water line breaks or sewer line breaks. Okay, yeah, yeah. Boy, uh as soon as I get home, I'm going to start watering my um, my slab again. I'm I'm curious. We're, we're talking to Texas A&M professor Ronald Kaiser about home foundation cracks. This is an extension of a conversation we had yesterday. 
because of the oh. Texas heat drying the ground up that your house was built up on. How much money are we talking here in, in damages if you're not able to find this thing in time? You know, it could be pretty expensive. It could run to thousands of dollars, uh, depending on the extent of the movement and the crack in the crack in your foundation. Uh, some foundations, oh. if you've got a two or three inch crack in the foundation, you have serious, serious problems. Others may be hairline fracture, and you hope if that's the case, the soil is pretty much stabilized and it won't get worse. So, How, I mean, what, it, what is the point of no return? Of, what is the the point of no return, and we have to scrap the whole house? Oh, <laughs> you know that's going to look at whether you then have a crack in the foundation and under wet times you start to get seepage into your house uh, that causes problems with your flooring. So it could run, you know, foundations are interesting. You don't want too much water and clay because it expands and you don't want too little because it shrinks. And most no. people don't think about it. So, you know, that's why people, when you construct, your home and you put gutters in, you're trying to move water away from foundations so you don't get a supersaturated condition. We've, we've run out of time here wow. at this segment, but I want to appreciate the information that you've given us Thank you. this on home foundation practices. Texas A&M professor Ronald Kaiser joining us. This is Newstalk 710 KURB, the 956 Drive Home. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on Newstalk 710 KURB and KURB.com. News Talk 710 KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. We mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news on News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. We have an active shooter, multiple gunshots. In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Davis. You're listening to the 956 Drive Home on 710 KURV. Uh, As I told you a while ago, the Electric Reliability Council of Texas which I'm sure somewhere on the Internet is now called the Electric Unreliability Council of Texas, because that's just an obvious an obvious thing. Uh, you, you can't get away from the uh, warnings. For example, I go to Texas Tribune. Texas, right, right at the very top of the page. It's not even a story. It's just a, hey, look at this kind of thing. Texas grid operator urges electricity conservation as heat wave drives up demand. Uh, but before we get to the issue at hand, I want to ask our guest, um, if the issue at hand is question number one, here's question zero, Ed Hers, who is an energy um, expert and lectures at the University of Houston. If um, if this is not and I don't have an axe to grind in this, but um, if this heat is not a consequence of global warming and too much carbon in the air, which I, I think summarizes the, the critique of of some folks. If that's not what this is, what is this heat? Oh gosh, David, you know, asking an economist to talk about the weather is a, is a real problem. 
Uh, but you have two hands, uh, right? You have on the one hand, yeah, and on the other hand. Well, remember, I'm a, I'm a taxpayer and I'm a consumer here. Okay. Um, but what we do have is a failure to manage the ERCOT grid correctly. And Texas has grown from um, $1.25 in GDP uh, gross domestic product in 2010 to $1.99 in 2021. And our electricity capacity has not grown uh, commensurately. We don't have the supply to keep up with that. This is an issue of management by the legislature, the governor, and by the folks in Austin. Well, let me ask some very basic questions, because I, both not just for me, but I think people come at this all different kinds of levels of information. Uh, I, do we have an, a, a free market, an open market for electricity? In other words, no, no, not at all. This is is an administrative construction. Uh, The the so-called ERCOT market is run by ERCOT. It is a it's a government authorized entity that buys and sells electricity on our behalf. It's very, very much like an old style Soviet Union purchasing bureau. In that it you say that just for to provoke people, Doctor Commodity, and it does not price in a return on capital for eight of the ten years prior to 2021. The price received by the generators was less than the cost of providing the electricity, and so as as I had forecast, um, eventually uh, attrition takes in. People leave the grid, and yeah. and we lost supply until we hit the point where. Our demand grew uh, beyond what we had the capability of supplying. It doesn't matter whether it's wind, solar, um, natural gas, uh, coal, or nuclear. It, our supply portfolio is inadequate to servicing the demands of consumers across the state. Let, let's pretend, for my sake anyway, that you know go, go back to when Central Power and Light in South Texas furnished electricity to most everybody. Brownsville generates its own, and, there's, you know, there's a few uh, outliers. But CPNL generated electricity and supplied electric power to people's homes. Um, and I guess they could set – I had to get the state's permission to set prices, and there was a procedure for that. So what is yep. it now? How does it work now? Well, today um – your local utility, the, the the guy who delivers it to your meter, um, basically sets a price with the Public Utility Commission because that is a monopoly. It's it's the guy who takes the power that comes from the transmission lines. The transmission lines are also regulated. Um, you you know they don't string a wire across the state without being assured a rate of return. The generators, on the other hand. Uh, have to kind of compete on a, a, a eat their own basis. So it's an electricity-only market. Um, the the uh, spin masters in Austin call that competitive. But if we look at this in terms of, say, um, a baseball team, uh, if we paid the Houston Astros on an electricity-only basis like we pay generators in ERCOT, then only those 10 guys taking the field tonight are going to get paid you know, give or take a reliever or a pensioner. The rest of the guys on the bench don't get paid. They don't earn revenue to cover their cost. Um, and, uh, you know, are they going to be ready to come into the game? That's been a really big issue for the generators here. We've been trying to 
to rectify the situation over the last 18 months following February 2021. Uh, but it's, it takes more than 18 months to uh, uh, fix something that's been decaying for more than a decade. So uh, we're talking with Ed Harris, who's, um, well, at least here, identified on the University of Houston uh, pages as a lecturer in the Department of Economics uh, and a longtime, I guess, student of and critic. Critic may not be the right word, but a, an, an, an analyzer of the way we regulate and price electricity in well, it, in Texas. It, you know, as an economist in, in regulated markets, it's you know not not just ERCOT. And and keep in mind, it's this is not Democrat or Republican. It's not red or blue. Yeah. California led the way with a deregulated market. That state is uh, you know, managed by by the Democrats. Uh, the state of New York has got a real challenge with keeping up with. Uh, maintaining supply, and that state is run by Democrats. I mean, this is a equal opportunity uh, mm-hmm. uh, situation for parties to fumble, for for elected leaders to screw it up. So, to to go back to what I started with this this instant problem, this instant circumstance is not because of too much carbon, too much carbon generated power, not enough wind power. It's a separate sort of issue from that. Yeah, it's not enough power, period. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, in May, uh, ERCOT forecasts that maximum demand would be 77,000 megawatts, you know, for some hot day in August or September. Well, today it looks like we're about to top out at 79,000 megawatts. Um, keep in mind that ERCOT is unable to make direct investments. And, you know, has to provide incentives to power companies to build generators. Uh, following February 2021, Berkshire Hathaway Energy and, and Starwood Capital, these two large investment firms, both offered to build new generation capacity in, in ERCOT to stabilize our grid. And the people in Austin refused, refused to, to even consider those offers in California, um, California independent system operator, which is the equivalent of ERCOT for the state, uh, went out and bought 5,000 megawatts of new generation capacity to top off their grid and stabilize it. Um, you know, Texas seems to be following lockstep in every mistake that California has made, but has not actually taken the steps necessary to, to stabilize our grid. Our economy keeps growing. People keep moving to the state, mm-hmm. and yet our grid becomes more and more unstable and unreliable. Oh, and the price, of course, keeps going up. Could you and I go out without permission from anybody except, I guess, local zoning authorities, go out and um, borrow money or get investment to put a generator, generator operation together, generate electricity and to sell it in, say, the local Valley market or South Texas market. Can we do that without having to get Austin's permission? No. Um, everybody who's on the, the grid here, and that includes the wind and solar guys, has been admitted to the grid by ERCOT and by the Public Utility Commission. Um, these are all direct appointees now of the, the governor and the legislature. So, you know, the, the management of, of ERCOT uh, today answers directly to to the governor and the legislature. And, and prior to 2021, the, certainly the public utility commissioners were all appointed by the governor. 
in, in the short term, then the only thing we we can do is to keep our electric consumption as low as possible for our own benefit uh, to, to avoid a brownout or losing power and keep our um, <clears throat> electric bill down. But that that's just a short term management. Not that's not a solution. Correct. That's right. Um, you know, Friday the 13th in May, we were asked to turn our thermostats to uh, 78 degrees. Um, you know, that, that's certainly you know, the logical best way to go about doing this. If, if you can make sure your house is tight, insulated, um, uh, not run the major appliances until you know, the early morning hours, that can help solve some of the issues that ERCOT is facing. I would love to continue, but um, can't. We'll we'll call you later on. Not call you later on this week again, probably. But um, but th- thank you for uh, examining this with us. Thank you for explaining it, uh, and thank you for being available to the listeners. Thank you very much, Dr. Ed Hurst, who is an energy fellow and a lecturer in the Department of Economics at the University of Houston. You're listening to the Nine Five Six Drive Home. I'm Davis Rank. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Start your day with news and interviews important to you with the Valley's Morning News. Weekday morning starting at 6. Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan bring you the latest headlines and hourly discussions with AccuWeather to get you ready for your day. And special guest interviews on topics that affect you and your family. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, guys. Let's enjoy the show. It's what you need to start your day. The Valley's Morning News with Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan. Weekday morning starting at 6 on News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Davis. It can either be beach weather on Christmas, December 25, or it can be snowing uh, December 25, which leads me to the following question for our guest, Ed Campidano, who is uh, the uh, director, manager, Meyer Domo, of the Port of Brownsville, but has also been a city manager and other things. Uh, do you remember, uh, do you remember, uh, Ed, when it snowed at Christmas, I don't know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago? Did it snow at the Port of Brownsville? Did it get that far south? Yes, 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 it did. It actually, I live three miles from the port, and I remember we woke up that morning to uh, about a couple of inches of snow on the ground. I mean, visible snow. Palm trees, trees, grass. It was uh, it was an amazing sight. It really was. The port didn't freeze over, did it? No. No, no, it did not. It did not. The the really snow didn't bring a lot of frost. It was really just you know yeah. snow. Uh, I think we've had colder days that no snow, but really significant uh, freezing weather. And I do remember. I think it was eighty nine South Padre Island where actually there was quite a bit of freezing that yeah. went out into the bay. I'd never seen the bay that way. Uh, and yes. that was that was a cold, cold uh, um, uh, front at that time in 89. I had a cousin lived there, and he took pictures from his balcony of the snow. Uh, just uh, and, and during the during, during the great freeze, and was it 2021? It fades into memory. I guess it's 20. Did you all have any disruption 
Uh, I think mostly what everybody else had. Uh, what was disrupted more than anything was the electricity. Uh, just simply, um, you know, we had uh, power up the portable generators and and that, but uh, that was the biggest issue. It was just uh, electricity went down. The system went down. You didn't bring uh, but, your barbecue um, pit into the office and keep the heat on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I think we've we've got a little smarter over the years. <laughs> that might have been during college, but <laughs> uh, no, no, Davis. But that was about it. I mean, other than that, I mean, things recovered. Uh, you know, yeah. once the electricity came back on, and you know, sections of the of the city, the port is on a circuit that's critical. So once that came up, we were we you know we were back and running. So. So, uh, uh, but that was about it. That really was it. Uh, we're, I, I called you because I've been wanting to talk just a little bit about the coming deepening of the of the ship channel from forty two to fifty two feet. But before we do that, this this is not a curveball, but it just the last interview was a guy about the grid and he said we just don't have enough supply. The way they're managing it, we don't have enough electricity supply. Uh, how does the port get electricity? Uh, well, we're on the system. We are, we're the furthest extreme of the ERCOT system here at the port. In yeah. fact, uh, we're kind of, you know, with a 345 KV that comes in from the coast, uh, it actually terminates here at the Sherryland substation at the port. And so, uh, you know, that's a plus. Uh, our primary provider of electrical service inside the majority of the port is the Brownsville PUB. Uh, we do have portions of the port on the, I guess you could say the northwest and the southeast side around Highway 4 that is served by Magic Valley. Yeah. And then anything of east of the fishing harbor, the electrical provider is uh, AEP. So really, uh, you know, there's a m- multiple providers in the region, but primarily from the Brownsville Public Utilities Board. It, it, I'm sure it's come up. Why don't we have our own power generating operation and not rely on them? Well, I will tell you there's been a lot of discussion about that. Now, um, you know, my understanding is one of the things we've never had is enough uh, electrical load to kind of meet the, you know, the growth of the valley. We're always falling short. But I have been told more recently is we do have a lot of electrical generation in the region, but it's really all the wind blade stuff. And most of that is exported. So, um, and of course, as we saw in February of 2021, if it gets really cold and those things aren't prepared to work in those kinds of conditions, uh, they don't generate electricity. But, uh, you know, there really hasn't been a discussion for quite some time about building electrical generation. You saw some of that in the late 90s and early 2000s. You know, you've got two major facilities off Monte Cristo in Edinburgh. One was the Duke Energy uh, 500 megawatt facility, and then there was, a, I think, or the, uh, the Calpine one that was 750 megawatt. If you think about it, I don't know that there's been any more of that type of generation built in the valley. Everything we've seen come on in recent times has been really wind blades, uh, wind turbines. The, the uh, Porter Brownsville, the ship channel is 42 feet, which allows certain kinds of vessels to come in and excludes others because they're too big. So you, you worked for and finally got permission to go down to 52 feet and you finally got the money for it, the funding. 
uh, and correct my facts if I'm wrong. So when do you commence digging? I don't have, and who do you hire to do that, uh, to go from 50 well, to 42 th- feet? Yeah, there's actually two pieces to this project. And what makes this project different than everything else is that this isn't the traditional model by where the government actually undertakes these projects. You know, the traditional model, it's a cost share. It's really like 75% federal and 25% non-federal. And so consequently, in that model, you actually have to have congressional authorization and then congressional appropriation to do a project. And those take years and years and years. I'll give you an example. You know, Corpus Christi is blowing and going right now. You know, they're in their 32nd year of that project being uh, authorized. Uh, it was authorized in 1986, and they really didn't see their first dollar till about three or four years ago because that process is so difficult, especially to fund enough money on a big project like that that you have to con- – once you commit, you got to finish it, and it's a, it's, it's a lot of money. What we did in this particular case is kind of a new model, a new paradigm, if you will, you know, we have some significant private sector investment that is going to take part here. And part of what we did is that under that agreement, um, uh, our private sector partner committed to construct the deepening of the ship channel for what is approximately 50 to 55, 60% of it. And so the balance of what we did the other day was to, uh, we got money to do what we would call phase two, which is the rest of the project. And because we were able to do that that way, we were able to leverage that private sector investment. The money that we got was not essentially appropriation by Congress. It came out of the JOBS Act, that trillion-dollar project that was done you know, last year in 21. This was the second round of funding. So our money for Phase 2 came very quickly, and, of course, we appreciate it. But that really triggered getting this thing going. So uh, next decade, uh, we'll do Phase 1, which is a significant part of it. But we are only working on Phase 2, and this is the partnership with the federal government. So under this P3 initiative, you know, you really have the three players that are all part of the project. And that's what makes this project unique is it's the first one done, ever done on a navigation project. So, hey, we'll take it. Um, you know, the Corps wants to act, act quickly. We all do. And so I suspect we'll get started on it as we speak. We're starting on the engineering portion of a phase of the project we'll be responsible for. And that is primarily elevating the levees in the placement area. So when we get ready to dredge, we have the capacity to put that spoil in what we call the dredge material placement area. So we're doing that part. And then the core is going to concentrate on the contract to actually go out, contract a dredge company to actually take the channel from 42 to 52 feet. And that is expected to occur about a year from now. Okay. When they were talking with Ed Campidano, the Brownsville, Port of Brownsville, Brownsville Navigation District, what, what's at the bottom of the ship channels? Sand, dirt, uh, Jimmy Hoffa? Mostly clay. You know, it's, it's mostly clay, a lot of mud and clay. I mean, that's, you know, wow. what you see really on the both sides of the ship channel is remember a lot of that was material from the original 1936 dredging to 25 feet. I mean, a lot of that material is what has been, 
you know, used in, in, in later times. Uh, they weren't just putting the material on the banks anymore. Uh, they started creating placement areas for that material. And so now we don't just leave it on the side of the channel and keep building it up. It goes into these placement areas. And then uh, that's where that's where we have to hold that, that material. Is there something funky about it? And a lot of it, because it's work in the water, Davis, much uh-huh. of it is it's wet. So you have to place it in such a way and it has to meet certain requirements where the water drains out, but it can't drain out with all of the, uh, you know, particulate matter. In other words, y- you can't just put it back in the water as mud. It, it has to drain, and so the water gets back in the channel, and the other material just settles and dries over time. The uh, private, uh, the private partner is. I missed. I confess, I missed this at the very beginning. It's a uh, liquefied natural gas uh, yes, company. Yes, next decade. So it, it's worth it to them. Obviously, it's worth it to them to pay all the money. So, um, yes, it it um, what what this project did really, you know, part of the whole goal was to some degree reduce the risk to the federal government or reduce the risk to the federal taxpayer. So that seventy five percent that would normally come out of the federal government at the end of the day, twenty five to thirty five percent will be absorbed by some other party. So from that perspective, it, it right. accomplishes one of the goals of that P3 program. Uh, but yes, they will be implemented. They've actually gone already and, and did the, 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 they've already selected a contractor for the deepening project. So they're ready to go on their end. Uh, we're hoping that by the end of this year, we'll start, uh, work on getting the entire reach of the channel ready for dredging, uh, beginning sometime next year. And certainly it'll be, you know, about three year efforts. So, uh, it's, it's a lot of work. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it'll, at the end of the day, it's approximately 18 to 19 miles of work. Um, and, uh, you know, this is, this, this yeah. is, uh, this is something that is, uh, necessary. Uh, really to the future sustainability of the port and, sure. and if we're going to continue to grow and keep up with the demands of our existing customers and, you know, attract new industry. Uh. Hey, I, I got to jump in and say thank you very much, Ed Campidano with the Port of Brownsville. Always good to hear from Ed and uh, hear what's, to hear all the fascinating things. I think they're really interesting and of course they're building a future for us here in the Rio Grande Valley. You're listening to the 956 Drive Home. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands, your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURV. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURV. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. 
It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.